What's up everybody, Esoteric Eddie here, Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to the audio version of Esoteric Eddie TV. I hope you enjoy this episode. Peace. This is the oldest surviving text of Stoicism known to man. What up everybody, Esoteric Eddie here, Namaste. Today we're going to hang back, chill out, and take a look at the instructions of Shurapak, also known as the instructions of Shurapag. And it is an old Sumerian text which provides instructions on how to live a proper life, a successful and prosperous life. In, and some scholars consider this as like a kind of like a, a source influence for Proverbs in the uh, Bible and kind of uh, an influence on the Ten Commandments as well. Some of them are kind of similar. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there are a lot more instructions or commandments in this text. And some of them are kind of funny. Some of them are weird. Um, Some of them don't make sense because the the text is broken in that area. So I'm not going to, go over every single one, but we will be analyzing some of my favorite, some that I think are important. And to me, this is basically the oldest uh, form of stoicism. You know, a lot of these pieces of advice um, have to do with walking a moderate path, living a a life of, of, of modesty and yeah, living a, a life, um, of correct behavior so that you don't end up creating a life of hell, of self-inflicted hell. And it's interesting too, because a lot of these uh, still are still valuable to this day. I feel like a lot of these pieces of advice are still relevant. And it's funny too, because it all, it also shows just how much we have not changed as humans. It's testament to how simple-minded we really are and how despite all of our technological advancements, socio-geopolitical advancements, we are still just basic human beings, just creatures of habit and urges, you know, the beings of clay, as the Bible would say, and even the Sumerian text. It's just hilarious. But real quick, the instructions of Shurapag or Shurapak which was a, a very famous city um, of the kingdom of Sumer, um, are, two, are, are almost 4,000 years old, or just about 4,000 years old. They are dated to about 2000 BCE, before the Common Era, making them not just one of the oldest Sumerian texts, but one of the oldest texts known to man. And I think it's awesome that being one of the oldest surviving texts, it is a valuable piece of human literature passing down instructions from our ancestor. This, these are instructions from our Sumerian ancestor. And so it is believed uh, that this text was written, not directly by, but written by um, the king of Shurapak at the time who was Ubara Tutu most likely written by one of his scribes or whatever. Uh, but yeah, so it was, it was put together by 
Ubara Tutu, who was the last king before the great flood. And he was giving these instructions to Zia Sudra, who was the survivor of the flood story, the Sumerian flood story. So Zia Sudra was the Sumerian Noah. And so he was given these instructions to Zia Sudra, um, probably with the knowledge that the flood was coming. But yeah, it's it's an awesome piece of work again, because it's like, it's real. I mean, this is coming from our ancestor and it's so easy to, it's so easy to, to feel disassociated from it or disconnected from it because it was so long ago and it's so weird and somewhat foreign. But the reality of it, the actuality of it is this is a very real text coming from our very real ancestor who lived at one point and has some wisdom to share with us, some experience to share with us. And again, even though it's so foreign and so ancient, it's still so relevant, as you will see. Some of it is very relevant and kind of funny. So, yeah, I'm going to just go through it and, you know, give my two cents on it, you know. Um, but, yeah, I hope everybody's doing great. I've got so much awesome content lined up for you. And, hey, real quick, I, I do want to address my channel a little bit. Um, you know, as it's growing, as I'm entering my third year as a content creator under the brand Esoteric Eddie, I'm sort of redefining and rethinking what I want to do with all of this. And just so you know, I have always been an artist. I have always been passionate about content creation way before that was even a word. Um, I have I have VHS tapes, mini VHS tapes, going back to elementary, middle school, um, because I used to carry around a, a camcorder with me back in the day. I, I've always loved filming. I've always loved writing. I've been writing stories since I was a kid. And so I know a lot of you uh, who are day one fans, day one supporters, um, probably uh, supported my channel or loved my channel for my original documentaries that I used to make and that I still, that I am still in the process of making, you know, in other words, many of you subscribe to my channel, follow my content and have continued to do so because you love my long form documentaries. And you might've noticed that I haven't been putting out a lot of those. I've been kind of experimenting with content and, um, not just experimenting, but also kind of just dealing with what I, with what time I have, because I'm a busy man. Um, I'm a business owner and I have a life of friends and family, you know, of course, and, and I live on a ranch, which requires me to do work here as well. And so to be honest, making these long form documentaries, um, isn't very sustainable right now. Isn't sustainable for me right now with the time that I have. And I'm trying to balance that all out. So uh, I'm basically just saying thank you. Thank you to everybody who's been here since day one. Thank you to everybody who's recently found me. But just know that my content is going to change. And, and I'm still going to provide awesome full-length documentaries on esoteric, occult, and conspiratorial subjects because I love doing that. Uh, I've been doing stuff like that way before I was popular on social media. Um, but I also love and, and have always loved just sitting down and interviewing people and getting their stories. I love speaking to regular people because although I can sit back and, you know, tell you 
stuff like this, give you information on, on esotericism, occultism, conspiratorial subjects, and, you know, just give you my perspective on subjects that have been rehashed by thousands of other accounts. I think it's more valuable um, to also bring unique stories from everyday people, you know, such as myself. So uh, launching next month, it, well, next month I will be launching my podcast segment of this channel. And I've been interviewing some people getting ready for that. And so you're going to start seeing more podcast interviews with everyday people that I know. And eventually, you know, people that um, will reach out to me who, to be on the show or special guests and stuff like that. But some of these interviews that I already have are, are very inspiring and very wild with a lot of awesome experiences and pieces of information from everyday people, people that I know, you know, friends, family or associates. And so, yeah, you know, thank you for rocking with me. I'm going to be produce. I'm going to continue to produce um, documentaries, but I'm also going to, I'm, I'm not going to just focus on the documentaries moving forward. I am going to focus on doing, um, podcast interviews. I'm going to focus on con continuing these presentations that I have been doing. Like you've seen some recent presentations from me, like, um, the prodigy video I just released the presentation I did on Terrence Howard, you know, just having fun with it, man, just having fun with it. So, Thank you for rocking with me, and I hope you enjoy all the, the various pieces of content that I have put out and that I will continue to put out. So anyways, with that being said, let's get into the instructions of Shurapak and see what our ancestor has to offer us in advice. Okay, okay. So um, it starts off with an introduction, of course saying, in those days, in those far remote days, in those nights, in those far away nights, in those years, in those far remote years, at that time, the wise one who knew how to speak in elaborate words lived in the land Shurapak, the wise one who knew how to speak with elaborate words lived in the land. It's weird. Sumerian texts do that a lot. If you ever, if you ever read these translations of the Sumerian texts, for whatever reason, they felt the need to like repeat themselves, you know, in those days, in those nights, in those faraway nights, in those years, in those faraway years. It's like, I don't know. It's like, I feel like uh, George Lucas might've gotten influence from that for, for the intro to the Star Wars, you know, in a, well, how does it go? I don't know. In a far, far away galaxy, you know, and some people say that he actually, well, actually, no, it's actually been said by Zechariah Sitchin, the writer of the Anunnaki books, that George Lucas did reach out to him for influence or for, yeah, for, for some um, advice and uh, influence on, on his characters. So I don't doubt that George Lucas got a lot of influence from the Sumerian text for Star Wars. <clears throat> but anyway, so Ubara Tutu's. Um, says to Ziasudra, my son, let me give you instructions. You should pay attention. Do not neglect my instructions. Do not transgress the words I speak. The instructions of an old man are precious. You should comply with them. Interesting. So the very first piece of, uh, of advice is, is, is super random and kind of funny, but this is, this is how it starts. It says here, you should not buy a donkey which brays 
it will split your midriff. <laughs> a lot of these are kind of like strange like that, but they have, for, I feel, these like underlying deeper meanings, right? So he says here, you should not buy a donkey which brays, which means like kicks, right? Kicks or is uh, wild because it will split your midriff. And he might have just meant it for that reason, just surface level. Hey, don't buy a donkey that that's crazy because it's going to fucking kill you. You know, but I feel like as you'll see, because as, as we move through these, you'll, you'll notice that he's not just being um, mundane. Like he's saying a lot of this stuff to be uh, metaphorical. You know, so to me, this means like don't buy something that already ha comes with problems. You know, like don't buy a car that already has issues. You know, don't buy something from a dealership who's like, oh, yeah, it's great. But, you know, it kind of makes this weird noise and smoke comes out of the hood when you drive like more than 10 miles. But it's a great price. You know, so it's like don't buy something that's already going to give that's already giving you issues is the way that I see it. You know, so that's, I think that's good advice. And I can go for so many other things in life. You know, it's like if, if something is if something is already troublesome, don't even mess with it. Right. It's like, OK, so moving on, there's probably about, I don't know, 30 or so. There's, well, there's a lot more. I don't even know. I didn't count all of them, but we're probably only going to go over about 30 of these super stoic and ancient pieces of information from the Anunnaki. Okay. So moving on, you should not vouch for someone for that man will have a hold on you and you yourself should not let somebody vouch for you. That man will despise you. Huh? So you should not vouch for someone for that man will have a hold on you. I guess. So I guess vouch in this word could mean like well, vouching means, right, like like uh, putting in a word or whatever, or like testifying for the person. But I feel like in this sense, it also means like you should not um, like, yeah, you should you should not take care of somebody, you know, like and I have experienced that myself. It's like so many people come to me for money, like l like literally this past month and two or two, like I've had people come for me to, for money and, and not pay me back. And I've had customers that I've done work for that have not paid me back or paid me at all, you know? So, um, it's like, you should like, do not give to people, right. Or like, no, you should definitely give. I don't know how, how to word this, but you know, do not, um, yeah, not, like don't be the person that, that somebody relies on. Right. Like if you become the person that somebody relies on, um, as sure as uh, Ubar Tutu says, uh, as the king of Shurapak says, that man will have a hold on you. So if you become the person that somebody relies on, it's like now, like me, you're in a deficit. Right. So it's like just, yeah, if people are coming to you for desperation, like just be be weary, you know, and make sure that you can handle the desperation that they're asking for. Anyways, um, you should not loiter about where there is a quarrel 
Well, actually, hold on. Let me let me go back to it because I just remember something. So, on that previous one, right? As I just said, do not be do not be the person that somebody relies on unless you can handle that. So these people who have taken money from me recently, to be honest, it's like it didn't break my bank. In some in some cases, it was hundreds of dollars, and it still didn't break my bank. You know, but that's because I've done well for myself, and I, and I'm able to handle these these requests from these people, these vouching that these people need from me. You know, but if you can't handle it, then just say no. Just say I'm sorry, dude, but I I this is something that I cannot handle, and and I feel for you. You know. But I know it's a part of my dharma in this life to to be that father figure for people, you know. Unfortunately for me, um, all throughout my life, I've had to be a father figure for people, a brother figure for people, you know, a leader. Uh, yeah. So, but it's okay. So that's that's my own personal dharma. It's my own relationship with God, and I know what He's requiring of me, what it's requiring of me. So. When I go through these situations, I know that it's just a part of my dharma. And it's really a lesson for those people because the some of the customers that I've had recently that have um, cheated me of my money, it's, like I said, it's not going to break my bank. But what it's going to do is it's, it's going to cause that person to forever, forever lose my trust and forever lose my my help because I'm, I'm never, ever going to help these people again. So I learned a lesson. I, I learned a, a cheap lesson, but they learned an immeasurable lesson, you know, a very, um, what's the word, costly lesson, you know, um, price, you know, very, what, what's the word, they, they learned a very uh, painful, painful lesson, right? Like for me, it was a hundred bucks, 20 bucks, whatever, nice cheap lesson, cheap price lesson to learn. For them, it was a high price lesson because now they lost me forever and I will no longer help them out. So don't be that person, right? Don't be that person who um, borrows money with the intention to not give it back because is it worth it? I mean, you get your 20 bucks, your 100 bucks, your $1,000, but you've now lost that person forever. That person who could have been helping you out in these tough times that you're going to have throughout your entire life. And so now, nah, yeah, now nah, you've lost them forever. Can you tell I'm a bit angry and bitter about this? Anyway, so I, I really like this next one. You should not loiter about where there is a quarrel. You should not let the quarrel make you a witness. I love that. I live by this, you know, don't be that person who is nosy, you know, especially when there's a fight going on. Whenever there's a fight going on, I, I'm out of there, you know, unless it's, unless somebody that I love is involved, obviously I got to stick around and help. But when things start getting crazy, the moment I I'm, I start seeing things escalating towards aggression and violence, I'm out of there. Anybody that I'm with, I'm like, hey, let's get out of here, right? Because as the King of Shurapak says, it's the wise thing to do. Do not get caught up in these quarrels. Do not become a witness in these quarrels because now you're going to have the law enforcement, you know, uh, knocking on your door. Hey, what'd you see? What happened or whatever? Are you going to get caught up as an accomplice? All these different things, you know, so, and I've had to learn that of course, the hard way in, in many instances throughout my life, you know, but now as an older person, um, as soon as I see aggression or violence start to arise, I just leave. I just leave. If there's no, necessary reason for me to stay because 
yeah, from for where I come from, a lot of that can, can lead to um, real violence. You know, people getting shot, people getting killed. And uh, yeah, man. So if you're going to be out there partying, going to bars and clubs and all that stuff, you know, don't be a knucklehead, man. As soon as people start getting crazy, don't get involved. Don't get involved. Just, you know, politely tell your date, hey, you know, things are getting crazy here. I don't want you to to get harmed in any way. Why don't we wrap it up and go somewhere better, somewhere more classy? Anyway, so uh, you should not steal anything. A thief is a lion, but after he has been caught, he will be a slave. Ooh, I love this one right here. Yep, I love this one because I used to have a terrible stealing habit. I loved, loved stealing, and I learned how to steal at a very early age. Not going to say who, but a couple, um, a couple women in my life showed me that it was okay to steal. And I don't blame them because they they kind of did it out of out of a desperation. Um, but as a young as a kid, I was like, whoa, like they stole like so I guess it's okay to steal, you know, and I started stealing at a very young age. I would steal. I started stealing like around five or six years old and it would prove to be a very disastrous habit for me. I got arrested. I've been arrested probably three times for stealing. Yeah, three times at least for stealing throughout my young life. Uh, for stupid stuff too. I got arrested in middle school for stealing some kid's iPod. And these are just these are just the times that I got caught. I mean, oh my gosh, there's been so many times where I got caught stealing in the mall. Like me and my cousins and friends would go to the mall and steal stuff. And of course we'd get caught, but we'd run. You know, we they never caught us. But the three times that I did get caught, or that one time in middle school, I, I used to steal iPods. I used to steal bikes, and then I would sell them. And this one time, I got caught and got arrested, but I got let go. I mean, basically, the cop just arrested me to scare me. He called my parents. I had to go home, and I was what? What was it? Um, the uh, what was the word? Whatever. They kicked me out. They kicked me out of school. Suspended me. I was I was suspended for like a week or something, which is really like. <laughs> not uh, a punishment for a kid that's like a reward but whatever you know so that was the first time and then the second time was in high school I got caught stealing goldfish so embarrassing I used to I mean I used to steal snacks all the time and um, yeah I, I was with my friend we were like getting ready to go smoke some weed at his house but we stopped by the store first to get some snacks and I stole some goldfish like and some other snacks and the uh loss prevention officer saw me and he like as we we're leaving he, he grabs me aggressively and my friend turns around and sees that and just just runs i i, I probably could have got out of it and ran but for whatever reason i just i just gave up and he just grabbed me well because he was like don't fucking move or i'm gonna tase you and and so i was like afraid i was like oh hell no so yeah, he he took me in, and then my dad came, and yeah, my I was I was way more afraid of my dad than than going to jail. You know, they didn't send me to jail, of course, just arrest me, give me a ticket. But when my dad showed up, I was like, oh shit! I remember the I remember the loss prevention officer was like, 
you got to call your dad, tell him to pick you up. And I was so nervous. I was like shaking on the phone. And, and the dude was like, your, your dad must be pretty tough. And I was like, oh yeah. And when, when my dad showed up, my dad's a tall motherfucker, you know, and back then he was tall and a lot more, you know, sturdier and buff. And so when my dad showed up, the officer looked at me and he's like, I could see why you were afraid. And hell yeah, my dad gave me the ass whooping of the millennium when I got home. And so that was the second time. And then the third time I got caught stealing with a couple friends and we stole a freaking golf cart, took it for a joyride, ended up getting, this time was wild. And I should tell the story another day, but this time was super wild, man. Um, we took the thing for a joyride. We almost crashed and like got super badly hurt. Luckily we didn't. We're three running and I'm like, I'm like telling my friends, yo, follow me, follow me. I know where we're going to go. And these two security guards, like, so they, they, they pin their cars in front of us. I literally did like the movie uh, move. Like one of the, the cop cars, like came right in front, like scudded, you know, right in front of me, you know, skirted right in front of me. And I just jumped like a Duke of hazard and just like slid on the fucking the hood. And I turn around and um, one of the cops, uh, well, they were like, uh, they were like security guards, like those senior security guards, you know, but no, they weren't real cops. They, they'd called the cops to come for us, but they were just like chasing us down first. But I turn around and this, this senior, uh, retired cop security guard, whatever has my friends at gunpoint. He's like pointing his gun at them and they have their hands up and I'm just looking at him like, what the fuck? Why'd you guys stop? And I just kept running. I just booked it. I ran for my life. I got away or so I thought. I'm like running, I'm running, I'm going through these little woods, uh, these little backwoods that I know, and I'm like taking off my jacket, trying to look different, you know, and I see these two kids playing in the woods, and they just see me running super frantically, and I just run up to them, and I'm just like, and there's sirens in the background, and I run up to them, and um, to, uh, to not to scare them, to not to scare them, right, uh, and so they're not suspicious that I'm running away from the sirens, I say to them, hey, have you guys seen a dog? I'm looking for a dog. And they're like, uh, no, we haven't seen a dog. And I'm like, okay. And I just like kept running, you know, it's just, so that way, if anybody, if anybody were to ask them, have you seen somebody running? They're like, oh no, we just saw a guy looking for his dog or whatever. So I, I get, finally get on the other side of town, across town. I'm running towards my friend's house who I know is going to be home. Cause that was like our little smoking weed spot. Everybody would go there to kind of like hide out and smoke weed. So I'm running towards his house. I finally get far enough away where I felt safe. So I calmed down. I'm like, yes, I got away. Too bad my friends didn't. I get this phone call. It's my sister. And I'm like, oh no. Like I just, my heart dropped because I'm like, why is she calling me? She calls me and she's just like instantly, she's like, Eddie, what the fuck did you do? I'm like, no. Um, but yeah, long story short, one of my friends snitched on me, told the cops who I was and where I lived. That was a whole other thing that caused a huge rift between me and him, but he ended up dying of alcohol abuse. And so... I had forgiven him in my heart long ago when I knew that his life was not going in a good direction. But anyways, yeah, man. So do not steal anything because a thief is a lion. But after he has been caught, he will become a slave. And that is true. I don't fucking steal anything anymore. I wouldn't steal a grape. I, I shit you not. I don't steal anything, dude. I used to steal so much, dude. I remember this one Christmas. I, I literally went around. when I When I used to be broke... I went around and I just like filled up my shopping cart with like stuff for the kids and I just walked out. Um, not proud of it. Honestly, I think stealing is honestly idiotic. And 
obviously I, I, some people feel like they have to steal because they're, they're, they're hungry. They're starving. And I have literally been there. I have been there. I have had to steal out of starvation before, you know, not severe starvation. I, you know, I, I have family members that I could reach out to, but as a young man, I always felt like the, the need to survive, to, to fend for myself, to, to provide for myself and not put that burden on my family. Um, so I understand that, but just for me personally, if you're, if you're just stealing for fun, that's so idiotic, you know, because you feel like a lion, you know, you feel great, but eventually you will be humbled into a slave of the system. So yeah, I don't steal anything anymore, man. If I can't afford it, I don't fucking buy it. Simple as that. Yeah. Okay. You should not play around with a married young woman. The slander could be serious. My son, you should not sit alone in a chamber with a married woman. I love this one too, because again, it's just testament to how we've always just been the same. We've always just been devious, promiscuous creatures. And this one's particularly hilarious to me because, um, I mean, I've been around a lot of married women who were definitely not faithful. But just the other day, I, uh, I went out, you know, went on a stroll, just wanted to go um, hang out at this bar. And I made friends with this young married woman. I didn't know she was married at first. You know, we were just conversating, having a good time. And she was about five years younger than me in her mid-20s. And, and I guessed it. I guess she was like on her phone, on and off, on and off on her phone. And I'm just like yo, are you going through a breakup right now? Like, what the fuck? And she just, like, starts laughing, like, uh, kind of. I'm like, well, what do you mean? And, and come to find out, she's like, she married this guy, like, a couple years ago. Um, just frivolously married him. They weren't even in love. And so she was regretting it. And she was, she was there at the bar because she was basically just, like, trying to let loose and, and find a way, <laughs> I guess, how to uh, get out of the relationship because she didn't want to be married to him anymore and so i already knew that was a danger i'm old enough and been through enough experiences to know like you don't mess with with a, with a young married woman like that like i mean there are certain instances right there are certain instances where i think it's justifiable right but in that instance obviously her man was like a frantic and so i'm like it's not even worth it i didn't hit on her i didn't you know flirt with her i just hung out with her and I held space with, with her, you know, and I, I provided her advice and just gave her, um, company, you know, company and a little bit of advice because I'm divorced and I've been through all that and gave her advice on the legal process of things, on the emotional process of things. But I knew right then and there, I was like, Oh dude, I, I could, I could have flirted with her and taken advantage of her emotional state at, in, at that time and, and whatever. But I was like, it's not even worth it. It's not even worth it because, um, yeah, it's not worth it because her, for one, again, her man is frantic. You never know what, what the heck they could do. And it's just not the right thing to do. You know, she's married. She's still in the relationship and my dog is kicking my camera. So <laughs> if you're hearing that or seeing that, sorry, he's blind. So I'm going to give him the, the grace. So yeah, man, it's just like, if they're married, if they're still in the marriage, don't even mess with it. You know, just don't even mess with it. And that actually happened to me recently. I went on a date with somebody and I was still legally married at the time, but 
totally separated from the person. It had been a year since we had separated, but I was still legally married. And this was a great girl. I was actually very interested in her and she was pretty interested in me. But when I told her I was legally married, that kind of shifted everything. And she was like, I'm sorry, but I can't continue this until you're um, legally divorced, which was smart on her part, you know, because it's like, you never, if you're still legally married, there's, there's still a tie there. Right. And there's the, so there, you never know what can happen between that person. They might leave you randomly because they decided to get back with the marriage or whatever, anything. It's just wiser to deal with somebody who is single. <laughs> okay. So you should not eat stolen food with anyone. After you have apportioned the bones, you will be made to restore the ox. Another banger, you know, um, yeah, don't eat stolen food with people. You know, don't partake in blood money. As it says here, after you've apportioned the bones, after you've already discarded the whole animal and, and the whole abundance, once you get caught, you're going to be made to restore the ox, which is damn near impossible. So you're going to be, you're going to have to pay the price. So, and that's something that I, that I, that I hold dear to my own life too. Like I'd rather not mess with, with blood money and stuff like that. Like if, if I'm dealing with, with impurities in, in my business, I'd rather not, you know, I'd rather not. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just easier to, to live a simple life, man. It's easier to just do things the right way. When you do things the wrong way, it might be very profitable in the moment, but in the end, you're going to end up paying it all back. As it says here, after you've apportioned the bones, once you get caught, you're going to have to rebuild the entire ox. And guess what? You're not going to have any of it. So you're going to have to pay the price another way. You're going to have to come up with that money another way. It's just all going to end up coming out of your pocket, out of your health, some other way. So, so yeah, man, it's like, um, and I'll tell you a quick story, actually, that, that relates to this. I remember when I was in high school, there was a, a chick who lived up the street from me who had just stolen a couple weed plants from this guy, right? And she she stole them with a couple other guys. I had nothing to do with this, right? And uh, But she lived up the street from me, and me and my cousin, we used to go to her house and smoke smoke weed with her and hang out. And she was telling us this story like, yeah, I just got these two weed plants. We stole them from this guy that I also knew. Me and him weren't friends. I just knew of him. And and yeah, she was boasting about it, whatever. And she asked me if I could just, uh, since I lived down the street, if I could just come by and water them every now and then. It's like, all right, sure, why not? You know. And then it got to the point where she's like, do you want to just have it? Like, I don't, I don't really need it or whatever. And I'm like, <sighs> I was like, uh, okay. And I took it, the weed plant. And I remember uh, this other day I was hanging out at this little bush spot that a lot of the locals used to hang out at. And it was me, my or no, me, a friend, and one of the guys who stole the weed, leaf, the weed plant with that chick. He was one of the guys that went on the mission. And the dude who got robbed showed up. And he was a crazy guy. He was a pretty crazy dude. He didn't know I was involved at all. He didn't know about me, but the guy that, uh, that was a part of the mission was there. And so he shows up and instantly the dude who had stolen the plant saw the guy that got robbed and just his face turned white. And the dude that got robbed pulls out this huge knife, this like machete and just starts going off on him. And he's like, get on your fucking knees and, and, 
and I want you to beg for forgiveness. And the whole time I'm just standing there looking at this, like, what the fuck? Like he didn't, he didn't approach me in any way. And, and I was an arrogant guy at that time. And I was like thinking in my head, man, if he even tries anything, you know, I'm, I'm not going for it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to defend myself. But the guy who was on his knees begging for forgiveness, we've always been like associates. We were never friends. Like if he was my friend, I would not have let that happen to him, but we've always kind of been associates and we kind of always had a bit of attention back in those days. So to be honest, I was kind of having an enjoyment watching that. I was kind of, it was super entertaining to watch. And, but at the same time, as a person, I was thinking in my head, like, okay, if he actually tries to stab him, I'm going to have to step in as well, because I'm not going to just let somebody get stabbed in front of me, you know, but, uh, yeah, so he did the whole thing, get on your fucking knees and beg for forgiveness. And he was begging, boy, he was begging. And, um, yeah, so it's like this whole, it was it turned into this whole ordeal. And then I remember telling my cousin about that situation, like, oh, dude, you'll never believe what happened the other day. I was smoking weed with so-and-so, and then so-and-so showed up, and this and that happened. And then so my cousin was a loud mouth and went around and told the whole school about what happened. And so that dude that was on his knees begging came up to me angrily, you know, um, aggressively and was like, yo, what the heck? Like, why are you telling people this? And I was like, yo, first of all, I didn't tell people this. I told my cousin this and I have the right to tell my cousin what I saw. And, and, you know, and so he kind of backed off after he saw that I was not backing down and saw my, you know, whatever we made, we made amends and we're, we're older now. We're all men and we're all cool, but you can see like just the succession of everything. It's like, and, and luckily I didn't get involved in any of the quarrel, but but I could have because I took on the responsibility of watering the plant and actually took the plant and I ended up giving it away myself. I was like, I didn't even want that issue. I was like, fuck this. I gave it to one of my friends. So, so yeah, man, don't, don't eat stolen food with people. Just don't get involved. Okay. Um, you should not speak improperly later. It will lay a trap for you. That one's pretty uh, self-explanatory, you know, just don't, don't speak improperly, you know, always make sure you have your facts straight, always make sure that you think before you speak and that you're clear about what it is that you're saying, you know, very clear because as they say, your words will be used against you in a court of law. You should not curse strongly. It rebounds on you. I like this one because, well, it's something that I've had to mature into. I love cursing, and I've already done it a few times on this show. I love cursing. I'm a vulgar person. But I do recognize that in in many instances, cursing does kind of make you look like a fool. You know, it's just, it's just not, it's distasteful. It's distasteful, and it kind of just shows a lack of self-awareness sometimes and a lack of of respect for others. Cause not everybody wants to hear that. Not everybody wants to hear you cursing and it kind of just, it's a microaggression. And that's one of the reasons why I like to do it because, um, it's a microaggression for me. And, um, but I also come from a comedic background. So for me, like cursing is mostly just like a comedic thing. You know, when you hear me cursing, it's mostly just that microaggression that, that comedy really is. Com most comedy is a microaggression because we're taking what saddens us or we're taking what uh, annoys us and angers us and making fun of it you know but i do believe that cursing all the time is foolish it does make you look 
um, distasteful, you know, just makes you look not mature. Okay. Uh, you should not draw up water, which you cannot reach. It will make you weak. I'm not too sure what he means by this. I mean, drawing up water, I guess he means by a well, right? This is coming from 4,000 years ago. You should not draw up water, which you cannot reach. It will make you weak. It's basically like the same thing as like, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew. You know, don't take on more than what you can handle, which is great advice for anything in life, you know. And it's kind of the center of what we've been talking about. You know, don't do anything that you're not going to be able to handle. Don't do the crime if you can't do the time, baby. Yeah. Uh, you should not drive away a debtor. He will be hostile towards you. This is an interesting one, and I, and I wanted to add this one because um, being a person who's made many mistakes in his early life as an adult... I relate to this one because I messed up my credit as a young person and I have had many debtors come after me and um, I always took, took it as a, it's always, um, well, I decided when I got into debt and had all these debtors come after me, I decided to try and maintain a good relationship with them. You know, like obviously it's annoying when they have to call you and email you and all this stuff all the time, but that's why whenever they would call, I wouldn't just ignore them. You know, I would, I would talk to them for a little bit and, and, and then let them know my situation. Like, hey, look, I don't have the money. I'm not going to have the money for another six months. So call me six months from now. You know, it's like if you owe somebody money, like, dude, you know, um, you, can't, you, you can't be the aggressive one, right? Because then they have the upper hand on you. So, and, I, and the upper hand in this situation was my credit being messed up. So my credit is still pretty messed up and I'm still trying to rebuild that because of the mistakes that I made in my past. So it's like, and it's, it's so insane when somebody owes you money and they feel like they can be aggressive towards you. It's just so insane. And so I'm not that way, you know, like, um, if I owe somebody anything, it's like, I'm going to do my best to pay that back. At least be communicative about it. Um, this one's just, <laughs> this one's just wild. It says, you should not commit rape on someone's daughter. The courtyard will learn of it. Um, good advice, but I think you should just end it with, you should not commit rape on someone's daughter. You should just not commit rape at all. Not because the courtyard will learn of it, but because you just shouldn't. But I mean, I guess what he's saying, obviously it's like, just don't, just don't do it. This one's interesting. It's a bit more um, poetic, I guess. You should not drive away a powerful, strong man. You should not destroy the outer wall. Or should you not? Or, or, or it would destroy the outer wall is another way to say it. You should not drive away a young man because it will make him turn against the city. So it's like this... You know, dichotomy thing. It's like if you if you drive away a powerful, strong man, right? Like if when he says drive away, I feel like he means like you know don't don't uh, what's the word um, like outcast, right? Don't outcast a strong man because this will destroy the outer wall. Meaning 
if if you if you outcast a strong man in the city, then now the city has become weak. And you should not drive away a young man. Do not outcast a young man because he will turn against the city. And this is a very strong message here about, you know, being about mental health, I think, about mental health and being there for people in, and recognizing the symptoms of mental health. Because, you know, yeah, if you drive away a strong man, now the city's weak, right? And it's like, it's, it, I guess I, that could be relevant for so many different reasons, right? Like, like your father, right? Your dad. It's like our fathers are supposed to be the stronghold of our, of our family, of our home. And if we drive our fathers crazy, right? If we, if we um, turn our backs on our fathers for the mistakes that they make, with, you know, instead of conversating with them, instead of sitting down and trying to resolve their, the issues that we have with them, then they're going to leave and then you're left with a fatherless home. And so it's, it's, it's the same with anything in life. It's like if all we have is, uh, you know, like uh, no family is, is perfect. No nation is perfect. No city is perfect. No, no organization is perfect. But if you slander an outcast, the, the strongest link of that system simply for the mistakes that they've made and they leave. Now that whole system has become weak, right? And don't drive away the young man because he'll turn against the city. It's like, don't neglect the young people because as, as we now know, you know, they can, they're full of angst and that's when their villain era begins. And then they come back and shoot up a school or whatever, you know, so it's like no matter what, you know, we need to protect the strong and the weak and be there for them and not neglect them and not uh, outcast them. The eyes of the slanderer are always move around as shiftly as a spindle. <laughs> you should never remain in his presence. His intentions should not be allowed to have an effect on you. Oh, yeah. The eyes of a slanderer always move around as shiftly as a spindle. That is what we call a tweaker. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, you know, you ever meet those people who are just very shifty, like literally shifty? You know, they're just either on drugs or coming off drugs or whatever. They got they're they're plotting in their mind. You can just tell they're not really there. They're just kind of just a vessel for the drugs or a vessel for the bad intentions. It's like. Oh yeah, I just I just stay away from those people. You know, people who are all shifty and just angsty and ang you know, like just anxious and weird. I mean, it's one thing to have anxiety, but to like just be shifty and full of bad intention. Yeah, no, no, stay away from those people. You'll do your life some good. And I used to be friends with a lot of people like that who ended up betraying me and doing crazy shit. Um. You should, oh, I like this one. <clears throat> you should not boast in beer halls uh, with breweries in parentheses like a deceitful man, which is so relevant for today because I live in San Diego, North County, San Diego, which is like the home of breweries. I think we have more breweries um, in consec you know, consecutively here than anywhere else in the nation. Like we have more breweries per capita or whatever than anywhere else in the nation here. It's like such a thing here. We were just, we were actually just laughing about it the other day. 
me and some friends went out for some food at this little tavern and right across the street, a whole another brewery just popped up out of nowhere. Like literally within a few weeks, they just built it out of scratch. And we're just like, okay, another brewery. You know, we just love our breweries out here. But yeah, you should not boast in beer halls. You know, everybody gets that liquid courage and like, oh yeah, don't worry, man. I got you. I got you. Whatever. You know, you start making all these promises and all these, you know, that you're not going to keep once you get sober. So I think that's a, that's a, um, it's funny. I like, it's funny to think that the Sumerians were dealing with that four to 5,000 years ago. Just some Sumerian out there like, oh yeah, man, I swear, dude, I got all this Anunnaki gold, man. I got this like gold statue of Enki, bro. Trust me. Like, or whatever they're saying, like, that's hilarious. We've just always been crazy drunk motherfuckers, I guess. Another one on beer. You should not pass judgment when you drink beer. Yeah, you know, um, when people are drunk, man, like nobody's in their right mind. So it's like when you're drunk, you're like you're more aggressive, you know, you're more wild. And so don't pass judgment when you're on when you're if you're going to drink, man, it's like do it to to honestly relax and to honestly enjoy the people around you. A lot of people, that's the that's what they say. They that's that's the reason they they think they're drinking. And that's the reason they tell the people that they drink for, right? Is to relax, to have a good time. But a lot of people don't drink for those reasons. Those are just the justifications that they use to drink. A lot of people are actually drinking to numb out. They're drinking um, to feel the opposite, actually. They're drinking because they want to get aggressive, you know, or whatever. And, and they don't want to relax. They actually want to get crazy. But if you if you drink honestly, to, to chill out and have a good time, I think you're fine. Um, uh, because yeah, I mean, when you're drunk, you're not in your right mind. So like you, you can't pass correct judgment and you're going to make bad judgment calls and you're going to make bad decisions based on those judgment calls that, you, and you're going to regret all of it the next morning. All right. So heaven is far Earth is most precious, but it is with heaven that you multiply your goods and all foreign lands must breathe under it. Interesting one here. So, yeah, it's like heaven is far and earth is precious, but without heaven, you know, you can't multiply your goods here. So, yeah, it's like it's like. Heaven is, is, is this imaginative place while we're here. So we have to we have to do what we can here physically with our lives here. But we should always do it with heaven in mind. Do it with spirituality, with God, with, with that aspect in mind. You know, because if you're just living for earth, if you're just living for earth, then you're not you're not aspiring for more, right? I mean, obviously it's, it's, obviously you can, you can gain a lot of riches in this life being an atheist agnostic or whatever. But I think what he's saying here, it's like to truly have valuable success in this life, success that is sustained and genuinely appreciated. I think it has to come from a place um, of humbleness towards God at least that's what I think. Okay. So 
at harvest time, at the most priceless time, collect like a slave girl, eat like a queen. My son, to collect like a slave girl, to eat like a queen. This is how it should be. Uh, I love that right there. It's like, um, and I like how he says, collect like a slave girl and eat like a queen, not like a boy or a king. Because that's a testament to how, how much the, the ancients actually appreciated women. And they were. You know, we used to worship the goddesses. They played a huge role in the ancient past. Women played a huge role in the ancient past. Um, so I like how he says that, you know, slave girl and queen. Eat like a queen, a hey. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I love this because I follow this in my life, man. It's like, yeah, work like a slave and then um, live like a king. You know, work like a slave, live like a queen. And that, that is true right there, man. You got to work hard, work, you know, never lose sight of where you came from and always work just as hard as you did when you were broke. Work like you're broke, man, even if you are rich. I love that. I think that's a great message. And um, sometimes I have to remind myself of that because I get too comfortable. I'm like, oh, I've made enough money this week. I've made enough money this month. I can chill out. But you don't know what next month is going to be like. So you always have to continually work like a slave, even if you're already living like a queen or a king. And my dad used to tell me that all the time, too. You know, he said, you never know what tomorrow is going to be like. So any work that comes your way today, take it. Never put off work to, for tomorrow. Any work that comes your way today, take it. Um, who insults can hurt only the skin. Greedy eyes, however, can kill. I like this because it's like, yeah, I mean, if people are just talking shit, you know, if people are just disrespecting you, it's not going to do nothing. But if somebody genuinely looks at you with envy and greed, ooh, that's a bad one. Do not like that one. That's why I keep my circle really, really small. I've had a lot of experiences with greed, with greed and envy in my life and betrayal. So, yeah, man, be weary of people who, stay, who say stuff like, I wish I had your life or, oh, my God, I wish I had what you had or whatever. It's like, what? What do you mean? Like, don't you like your life? Like, why do you want to have my life? You know, and it's funny because this is something that I realized for myself recently I, it's, it's interesting how, at least for me, like I wouldn't want to be anybody. I would not want to be anybody other than myself. I, you know, like it's, it's cool how God literally put us in the correct body for, for most of us, right? Cause some people want to be women. Some people want to be men or whatever. And man, God bless those people's hearts because I do not feel that way. I do not want to be anybody else other than me. Like hell no, I don't want to be anybody else. You know, it's like I couldn't imagine being anybody else. Like, yeah, sure, some things that people have, I, I, I want to aspire to. Like, I don't even wish I had what other people have. I really don't. I don't. When I see somebody that has something really cool, I'm like, oh wow, I, I want that for myself. I want to aspire to have that for myself. I don't say like, oh, I wish I had what they had. No, I just wish that I could. I, I want to aspire for myself to be able to get that for myself. You know, I was like, I can't imagine being anybody else. And I realized this recently because I've met a lot of rich people, a lot of people who have abundance and, and resource. But 
even though they have all that, I wouldn't want to be them. And I wouldn't want to live their life because you only see the riches. You don't see what it took for them to get the riches. And honestly, a lot of these people that I know who are, who are rich and very successful are quite boring people in my, in my eyes. Like they live very, very boring lives that I would want nothing to do with. You know, they, the foods they eat, I don't like, right? The shows they watch, I don't like. The, the friends that they have, I don't like. You just like the money or the car or whatever, but everything else about their life, you don't, you disregard, you know? So it, I'm totally cool with, with, who, with who I am because, and with what I have, because these are, the, these are the things that I love. You know, I wouldn't want to be Elon Musk. That dude looks boring as hell. I, wouldn't, I would not want to be walking around being, oh, well, uh, I'm going to go to Mars and, um, you know, Tesla. None of that, man. I wouldn't want to be Elon Musk. Hell no. His life looks boring as hell. Walking around with that fucking weird shaped body, you know, looking around like, walking around like a, like a robot with a tiny person inside there controlling his body or something. That boy is built like a motherfucking boombox, dude. Nah, I don't care. I don't, I wouldn't want, I would not want to be Elon Musk, even with all that money. I'd rather be esoteric Eddie, 100%. Anyways. Um, this is a good one. You should not beat a farmer's son. He has constructed your embankments and ditches. Yeah, this is a huge one right now, especially for what's going on in France. It's like, dude, don't literally don't bite the fan. Do not bite the hand that feeds you. Take care of the farmers. Take care of the, the tradesmen because we're the ones who build the infrastructure, you know, so don't look down on us. Uh, this is a good one. You should not buy a prostitute. She is a mouth that bites. You should not buy a house born slave. He is a herb that makes the stomach sick. You should not buy a free man. He will always lean against the wall. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, prostitution is the oldest form of business, man. That's been going on forever. But uh, she is a mouth that bites. Yeah, makes sense. You know, uh, I mean, you should not buy a prostitute anyway, right? But I mean, hey, things haven't changed too much. You should not buy a houseborn slave. I mean, you shouldn't buy a slave at all. I mean, obviously, these are way different times. But he says he is a herb that makes the stomach sick. So it's like, yeah, you think a slave is going to help you like an herb would, but it's actually the opposite. A slave will, is an herb that will make the stomach sick because a slave is going to despise you and hate you. And plot your downfall. And I like this one too. You should not buy a free man. He will always lean against the wall. Yeah, you know, uh, I've experienced that myself. Hiring people to do work for me who, um, who are spoiled. You know, people who are spoiled and don't have that desperation and that need to aspire to more in life. They're going to be comfortable and they're going to be like, eh, whatever. I'm getting paid by the hour. I don't really need to do anything. That's never been me, man. I've always kept my desperation. I've always kept that thrive and motivation. You know, there's no leaning up against the wall for me. My dad always taught me, you know, you know to keep my hands out of my pockets when I'm, whenever I'm at work. Whenever I used to go work for him and I'd have my hands in my pocket, he'd be like, he'd tell me in Spanish, you know, get your, get your fucking hands out of your pockets. You know, excuse my language, but that's how he would say it to me, you know. 
You know, I was like, take your, take your freaking hands out of your pockets. Like, what are you doing? We're here to work. Why do you have your hands in your pockets? You must have your hands free at all times. Get ready, ready to pick something up, ready to do something. And so I learned that young. It's like, you got to have that, that, that motivation, that, that drive. So, uh, yeah, don't buy a prostitute because she's going to bite your dick off. Uh, don't buy a slave because he's going to plot your downfall. And don't hire a spoiled, complacent person because they're not going to get the work done. This one's interesting. This is more so for the guys, but it can relate to the women as well, I think. Uh, you should not choose a wife during a festival. Her inside is illusory. Her outside is illusory. The silver on her is borrowed. The lapis lazuli on her is borrowed. The jewelry on her is borrowed. It's kind of like when you go to the club and women have all this makeup and extravagant stuff on them, and then you take them home and they take it all off and they're a completely different person. It's, it's wild, right? But I think this message goes deeper for both men and women. It's like, don't fall for somebody when they're dressed to impress, when they're acting to impress, right? Because that's not the real them. They're, they're acting on their best behavior. They're dressing on their best behavior, but that's an illusion. And they're doing that for a reason. So it's like, take it slow, you know? Sure. If they're attractive and they're they're looking awesome that particular night and that's what that's what attracted you to them all right that's that's fine but make sure to take it slow and see what they're like when the festival's over when the the bar closes and the lights get turned on you know so take it slow man it's like don't fall for the illusion of things it's okay to be attracted by the illusion that's why it's an illusion but don't fall for the illusion be attracted to it and investigate it all right there's there are so many bangers in here, and um, I advise you to go check it out. The Instructions of Shurapak, what is considered uh, by me the oldest text on Stoicism. Uh, I'll, and I'm going to end with this banger right here, which I think is great. A great message. And it has to do with respecting your mother and father. It says here that... Uh, you should not speak arrogantly to your mother. That causes hatred for you. You should not question the words of your mother and your personal God. The mother gives birth to the man. The father, like a God, makes him bright. The father is like, is like a God. His words are reliable. The instructions of the father should be complied with. Bam! Straight stoicism banger. Yeah, man. I mean, obviously not every mother and father in this life um, are good parents. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of people grow up without their mother and their father, you know, and, and have to replace them with other mother and father figures throughout their life. Some people have multiple mother and fathers throughout their life. But regardless, I think everybody has a mother and father figure in their life that they appreciate. And I think it's huge for us to appreciate them. It's very beneficial for us to appreciate them and listen to them, you know? Um, and that's why the Bible also puts stresses that point and puts a lot of importance on that point. The Bible says those who um, are obedient to the mother and father will be granted everlasting life. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And there's a point for that, right? It's like, if, if we were all to be good mother and fathers from the beginning of time till now, then the system of, of, of life would be easy. 
You know, we, we'd, we'd have a very self-efficient running system because every mother and father would do their part. Every child would do their part. And once the children grow up and be, to become mother and fathers, they would do their part and the children do, would do their part and the cycle would continue. Luckily for me, um, God gave me great parents, not perfect parents, but great parents. And I was, I didn't always have a great relationship with them. It's something that I had to mature into as I grew up and I have an undying love and respect for them. You know, when my parents speak, I, I shut up. I don't try to butt in with my little opinions. No, no. Even if, even if it's something that I know, even if they're telling me something I already know, I'm not going to roll my eyes and say, I know, I know. No, when my mom and father, when my mother and father tell me anything, when they speak, I just shut up and I listen. You know, unless we're having a fun conversation, then of course I'm going to have fun with them. But when they're, when they're giving me any advice, whether whether I'm appreciating it or I'm annoyed by it, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to listen because um, that's just the type of person I am. And, and I think it's important because <clears throat> it's our mother and our father, right? And it says a lot about a person. You can tell a lot about a person by how they respond to their parents and how they treat their parents and how they respect their parents. You know, like I've, I've had friends that like just would not respect their parents, you know, and I, I even, you know, I've seen like, uh, in my own life, you know, when my mother and father speak, sometimes my siblings will just butt in, you know, and, and look, I love my siblings. If you're listening, I love y'all, but, um, I, I've seen it for myself. Like sometimes, you know, they'll just butt in and it's like, bro, like this is our mom and our father, you know, we don't need to give our two cents. You know, we need to listen, right? Like, especially for those who are living with their, with their parents, you know, who are, who are still um, borrowing money from their parents or whatever and stuff like that. It's like, how are you going to butt in and give your parents advice when you're the one living under their roof and borrowing money from them, you know, and eating their food and stuff like that, you know? So, um, and I think it goes deep, man, not just in the micro, but the macro. It's like, if you have an obedience and a respect for your mother and father, you will also have an obedience and respect for your, your divine mother and father, right? Which is everything. The, the divine mother and father are everything. It's life. It's the life that is around us. And so you will, have, you will innately have a respect for, for people and for life. And so I think it's, a, it's very important for, for us who have a relationship with any mother, any mother or father figure in our life, whether that whether those are your biological mother and father, or simply the people that raised you in any sort of way, it's important for us to respect them and be obedient to them, and um, maintain that throughout our life. Because as the Bible says, those who respect their mother and father will be given everlasting life, and you will see that in your life. It's it's. When you respect your parents and you follow them, they give you gems. They give you gems. They really do. Um, you know, gems of wisdom, gems of abundance, gems, all sorts of gems. And um, it creates a certain type of character because then you will pass that on to your children and you will become a mother or a father one day. And if you relay those same attributes, those same morals, and you give back those same attributes and morals to your children, they will in turn love and respect you and take care of you in your old age. And this is how the human family system should work. So anyways, that was the oldest known text on stoicism. 
known as the Instructions of Shurapak by Ubara Tutu, the last Sumerian king before the Great Flood, to his son, Ziasudra, the Sumerian Noah. I love y'all. I hope you're surviving the flood of your mind. I hope these will help you in some way. Peace. Namaste.